everybody doing good? It's always a thrill to have visitors here, moms and dads, cousins, and in-laws and out-laws. Trying to figure out, Brandon, how you and JJ both showed up at the same time, but I got it now. You know, the Bible frequently condemns traditions that replace scripture or are are opposed to scripture. Well, people actually value their tradition more than what the Word of God says. But other traditions that celebrate who God is and what the Bible reveals are incredibly valuable to generational discipleship. I love these types of events. I, I remember when I was pastoring that was uh, about 30 some odd years ago. Uh, yeah, really. By the way, I mean, I appreciate your intentions, but don't always believe everything you read in social media. You know, just because they post something that says, I have a birthday, doesn't necessarily. <laughs> I remember when our children were young, and it was always a challenge to go to these events. You know, when you have three young kids. But I learned that what you're willing to pay a price for is what you really value. Unintentionally, we disciple others on what is important by showing them what we're willing to endure. That's a good point, Bob. For so long as a pastor, when these special events would come, you know, I would just ignore them. And, you know, different seasons, I'd, I'd just let it go by. I'm preaching on whatever was on my heart to do. And then finally, I began to realize these events were not only important, but they're enjoyable. They're, they're, they're fun. Christmas is fun. Yeah. I'm saying I'll have to say this to you. We're one Christmas. We, we, had, uh, we were a growing young church that had been moving all over the city. And God had given us a word that we would not decrease, but we'd increase all the time that we're growing and moving from place to place place and we rented out an old Baptist church that had about a 1200 seat auditorium we were probably 800 900 people in and uh, so it had a balcony and so I'm just say, saying that to you so you can kind of set your imagination and uh, our, our worship team and my wife uh, oversaw a dance team of about 60 dancers and uh, they had come together and had prepared a, a Christmas musical but uh, uh, some problems had come up, so I had to cancel the musical. So I got up and I announced that the Christmas musical was canceled. And, and there's some kid in the balcony. He didn't hear the word musical. <laughs> All he heard was Christmas, and the Dr. Bob had canceled the Christmas. <laughs> and he threw himself on the floor, wailing and crying because of in Mark 15 and 16. Now, I'm going to talk to you about faith, but I think it's going to be a little different kind of faith message because usually when I think about talking on faith, we you know talk about kind of getting wrapped up to believe God for the impossible. But today my approach is going to be a little bit different for you. The Lord has initiated this relational journey for us 
Remember Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible to please God apart from faith. I think that means faith is fairly significant. What do you think? Because establishing favor and increasing in the pleasure of the Lord is connected to our life of faith. One of the things that's been important for me to learn in recent years is that, and I want you to hear this, faith does not grow from striving. It grows from surrender. Let me say that again. Faith does not grow from striving. It grows from surrender. It's that place of yieldedness that brings me to a place of greater and greater faith. So if we can keep those things in mind, it keeps us from the hype that is really a counterfeit to what real faith is. Men and women, you cannot self-will yourself. You can't self-will, that's right, yourself into faith. I'm just going to believe. <clears throat> like you're late in May. I've heard people say, I'm going to believe. As if they could just will themselves. That's not how it works. Faith comes in one of two ways. It is a fruit of the Spirit or a gift of the Spirit. Y'all okay with that? Galatians 5 mentions that it's a fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By the word, the word, by the way, the word faithfulness that's used there is the exact same word used in Romans 10, 17. It says, for by faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So the fruit of the Spirit is faith, and the gift of the Spirit is faith. Fruit means it is something you can develop with use. You can increase its size and impact through use. It's like a muscle. You develop it through use. I had someone tell me years ago that they just didn't have any faith, no faith whatsoever. You know, and it kind of caused me to have to scratch my head. And I was wondering, what did they do with it? <laughs> Did, did, did they throw it away? Because God gives every person a measure of faith. Did they leave it somewhere? What did they do with it? Oftentimes we look in the wrong places for faith. Because faith does not come out of determination. It comes out of surrender. Within our relationship to Him. Y'all with me? Another point to faith is the fact that Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing, if faith comes from hearing. Faith is the evidence of a current relationship that is hearing from God. So my capacity to hear is enhanced as I'm reading through the scriptures, pouring myself into the word, and God's word pouring into me. It's what increases my capacity to hear. This is vital. Remember the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I live because he talks. God speaks. Life happens. I'm alive because he speaks. The very fact that he speaks, he breathes his word into my heart day after day and hour after hour. It's evidence. It's what keeps me alive. He keeps me alive by his voice. The mistake that we make is that sometimes when we're in a position where we're not hearing the voice very well, how many of you have had times when you said you're not been able to hear God's voice? But in that same time, you can sense His presence. 
We tend to measure our hearing by whether or not we can comprehend his voice instead of by who is in the room with us. He's the living word. He's the word of God. And when he comes in presence like that, he's usually depositing stuff in our spirit that's too big for our minds. I'm trying to help somebody. Some of my conversations with some of you recently has been had, and not hearing God really good. So I'm trying to help you here. He speaks and deposits things into, our, into us. Let me, let me give you an example. You're worshiping. How many of you enjoy the worship time? You're worshiping. You're enjoying Him. There's this interaction between Holy Spirit and your spirit because we worship God in spirit and in truth. That means we engage with Holy Spirit Himself. He's the one who guides us, who leads us, who empowers us in that worship. But it also says to worship in truth. The word truth means nothing hidden. So I'm there with all my pain. All my questions, all my stuff is laid out on the table. I'm not presumptuous. I don't pretend. I'm here as a child with all my junk. And it's all part of my worship expression. Sometimes we have trouble breaking through in worship because we don't get transparent. We don't get our stuff out on the table. Come on, guys. There's something about that kind of interaction, transparent interaction we have with him. Like an insurmountable problem. You can't explain it. But you walk out of the room with peace. You don't know what to do, but it doesn't really matter what's happened. God has ministered deeper than your mind can comprehend. How many of you get to realize God's bigger than your pea brain? So if we don't learn to recognize that, we won't know that He is actually speaking words of life into us that literally keep us alive. God speaks. Life happens. Job was talking in his, one of his conversations with God about God visiting him in the nighttime, putting things in his heart that were too big for him to handle if he gave them to you during the day. The reason is we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. So the Lord deposits these things deeply in us that, so that over time, they mature and they come to surface. How many of you realize you're not always going to understand what God's doing? But the point is, God is always talking to us. The problem is, many of us sit, sit in our spiritual recliner and we say to God something like this, Now God, I'm really hungry for revival. If you want me to experience it, you know where I am, just come visit me. I want you to do this and that kind of approach to the things of God is very dangerous because it means you're only going to get from God that which is sovereignly determined. That your hunger has no role in the outcome of your life. Can I say it differently? Most of what you need in life will be brought to you, but most of what you want, you're going to have to go get. So there is a responsibility on our part to seek and to pursue. Even the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 are repeated again in 1 Corinthians 14 because it says, pursue earnestly spiritual 
actually just says spirituals, but spiritual gifts. So revelation of the gifts doesn't deposit the gifts. They must be pursued independently. Y'all okay with that? Yeah. Okay. Romans 6. So some of you kind of giving me the deer in the headlight look. Romans 6 verse 4. It says, therefore we've been buried with him in baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Yeah, what Paul is doing here is teaching about death and resurrection of Christ, but he's also teaching about water baptism. And he uses it as a picture, being immersed into the water is a picture of grave. He says you're buried with him in the likeness of his death. When you come out of the water, it's a picture of resurrection, newness of life that's imparted to the individual. How many of you realize many times physical obedience brings spiritual release? Don't question what good it does. Just do what he says. Amen, Bob. That doesn't want to get long. Come on, y'all have to help me here. Verse 5, Romans 6. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self is crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. One of the most stunning chapters to me in the whole Bible. Follow the logic with me. First of all, we know that the cross, the shedding of blood, made forgiveness of sin possible. Sin cannot be atoned for apart from the blood. Jesus' sacrifice made it possible. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection, you're still in your sins. So it is the blood, but it's also the resurrection. Two different sides of the same point. Death was necessary, but without the resurrection, you don't get life. Without a resurrection, you don't live. So here are the two absolute cornerstones for what we believe. Jesus died. He died in my place. He died for me. He suffered a brutal death to atone for my sin. Number two, on the third day, he was raised from the dead, never to die again. Everyone Jesus raised from the dead during his earthly ministry, like Lazarus, they died again. But this was the first one that was raised from the dead to never die again. Two absolutes. Will you agree with that? Yes. Okay. Verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. As real as those two realities are, he says, think of yourself as dead to sin. In the same way that those are absolutely true, equally absolute, you are dead to sin. Now tell me what you're struggling with. <clears throat> the reason the enemy targets the mind is because if I believe a lie, I empower the liar. It's not mind over matter. It's not some type of mental gymnastics. It's the discovery of truth. It's the discovery of the greatest reality there is. The death, the resurrection of Christ. Let your thinking be shaped by those two realities. And as it is, he says, even so, even so, another absolute to add on to that. Consider yourself. Literally, it means to reckon, to add up it. To use a modern day idiom, do the math. Just do the math. He died, he rose again, therefore you're dead to sin, and you're alive together with him. Do the math. I like to put it this way. Jesus never actually took away our ability to sin when he says you're dead to sin. 
but he took away our ability to enjoy it. <laughs> How many of you make stupid decisions, and as a result, you're miserable for the rest of your life? <laughs> Let me move on to Mark 15. Are you all getting this okay? He says, in the same way the chief priests, along with the scribes, were mocking him, saying, hey, he saved others, why can't he save himself? Let Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Did you get that? <laughs> Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Here's the phrase that really gets me. I, I want to camp on it just for a minute. Let this Christ, King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. No one has the right to say, God, if you do this, then I'm going to believe. Nobody sets their own parameters for growing in faith. Faith is not the product of determination or self-will. It's the product of the Spirit's work in a surrendered person's life. As soon as we get this arrogant idea out of our system that I can do anything that I will myself to do, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad reality. But my generation of baby boomers told our subsequent generation, man, you can be anything you want to be. You cannot. <laughs> you're five foot one, you're not going to be in the NBA. <laughs> you're not going to win the gold medal in heavy Olympics. Weightlifting. We've got to get the arrogant ideas out of our mind. We've got to begin to see things differently. These religious leaders had no right to make the claim that they, they would believe in the Christ if he would do certain things. I, you know, to me, it would be a fascinating study, Bible study, to read all the things that the Bible says that were presented to Jesus for him to do. You know. Peter said, hey, don't, don't die, man. That's a bad deal. The devil says, turn these stones to bread. You know, thankful Jesus, thankfully he knew how to recognize what was from the Father and what was from another's self-determined ideas. Mark 16, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might anoint him. Very early on the first day they came to the tomb, when the sun had risen, they were saying to one another, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? By looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away. It was extremely large, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, don't be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold, here's the place that they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. I thought that's cool. I mean, it's not that Peter was not a disciple. It's just that he needed a little extra attention. <laughs> that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you're going to see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, trembling, astonished. You know, the fear gripped them. They said nothing to anybody for they were afraid. Now, he had risen early on the first day of the week. He first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported those things to those that he'd been with, and they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along the way in the country. They went away and reported it to the others. Didn't believe them either. The disciples afterwards, excuse me, afterwards he appeared to the eleven disciples and themselves as they were reclining at the table. Listen to this. 
And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. You know, I love this passage of Scripture uh, for a lot of reasons. But one, it shows us how to deal with mourning. Not as in the A-M, but as in M-O-U-R-N. As in sadness. Every one of us experience disappointment and loss. Probably our next all team, I'm going to talk to you, share an expanded version of the message on how to navigate disappointment. Because if you don't know how to handle and navigate disappointment, you're not going to get to your destiny. Every one of us experience stuff that we don't really have an explanation for. That we're crying out, God, why is this happening? It's just life. And if you don't learn how to navigate that stuff, you get crippled. You get deterred from your destiny, from whom God wants you to be. Just because you're hurt. Verse 10, they were mourning and weeping as a result of pain. By the way, the word mourn, M-O-U-R-N, in Scripture literally means to allow yourself to feel the pain. What do we do? Anything we can so we don't feel the pain. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Well, you think you're mourning because you're sad. You're not. You're not allowing yourself. You're running from it. Mourning will take you one of two places. Mourning in biblical context takes you to God. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There's one route to go in mourning where I don't have ashes. All I know is who to go to. I don't know why things are happening. I don't know why God allows difficult things to happen to good people. But I do know who to go to. I come to a place of abandonment and worship. Sometimes it doesn't even feel good, but I do it anyway. And in that engagement with the person of Holy Spirit, He comes and comforts. So one direction to go in mourning takes you to the comforter. The other direction will take you to unbelief. Did you hear that? When you're in pain and you don't have answers, if you attempt to use your self-determination, you will self-will to keep up the routine instead of drawing closer. You will disconnect in distance. It's a very common response to our pain. We rationalize rather than go to a place that we need to go where we can be healed. When he brings healing to a broken heart, my experience has been healing does not begin with answers. Shake your heads this way. Most of the time, I don't need answers anyway. I need a person. I need their presence. I need, you ready? The peace that passes understanding. You didn't get that. Okay, I'll do that again. I need, if I'm going to have the peace that passes understanding, that means I have to give up my right to understand why this happened to me. Until you come to that place, you're not going to have the peace that passes understanding. You're going after understanding. See, there's something about coming to a place where you're engaging with the person of the Holy Spirit that brings you to surrender. I'm not here to dictate to him. I'm not here to tell him if he'll do this, then I'll believe. I'm here because he is God and I'm not. 
reminds me of a subtle, a, a, sign, a subtle bumper, sign, a subtle bumper sticker, I said. So, never mind. Sticker, car. And it said this. The only difference between you and God is he's not trying to be you. I thought it was So this thing of mourning can take me in one of two directions. It either takes me to a place of healing, comfort from the comforter, or to a place of unbelief. Now, now, I want you to picture yourself just for a moment. I'm bringing this to a close. The disciples, you're with the disciples, they're huddled together because they're scared to death. Jesus has just been brutally murdered. You're afraid you might be next. And if there's anything you feel in that moment, you don't feel resistant to truth. You might feel demoralized. You might feel weakened. But you don't have a hardness of heart. I mean, you're, you're crushed. The one you pinned all your hopes on has just been crucified. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks into the room. That has got to be a great video. <laughs> but he walks into the room and he rebukes them for their hardness of heart. I want you to see, hardness of heart is not at it's not evidenced through strong will. Hardness of heart is evidenced in the unwillingness to deal with the pain that is in your life. Unwilling to come to the Lord for Him to bring healing. Healing that makes no sense. Peace that passes your understanding. What happens is Resistance gets built up. You know, here's the scary thing to me. These guys are the guys that are going to take his message to shape the course of world history. And Jesus starts off with his first post-resurrection interaction with them with a rebuke. <laughs> this isn't his leadership team. This is his tactical squad. Basically saying, I mean, I sent messengers and you didn't believe them. I told you ahead of time what was going to happen. But you didn't believe it. Here's part of the problem. Contextualize with me for a moment. His first messenger was Mary Magdalene. Okay, remember? This is a male-dominated culture. Women weren't even counted. But it says there was 5,000 that he fed. Women and children were not counted. Those were men. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the culture of the day. So these guys that are running things, who does Jesus first reveal himself to? Not a man, but a woman. Not just any woman, Mary Magdalene. A demonized, tormented woman. The Father chooses her first. I like this. Here's part of the problem. You ready? This is why I'm sharing this tonight. We're talking about faith. You have to learn to recognize when God is speaking. Not because it makes sense to you, but you need to recognize the presence of God that is released when they speak. I know that may sound a bit of abstract to you. I've been harping on this for years. I feel like the Lord, the Lord wants to bring it up again. Men and women, we have to learn how to recognize the presence of the Lord. Jesus taught it in John 6, incredible chapter where he's multiplying food for an incredible crowd, probably 15,000 that numbered both men and women. 
children, maybe 15, 20. And Jesus multiplied this boy's lunch to feed them all. By the way, the lunch was from someone who had not even been counted. He's a boy. Multiplied the food. You remember the rest of the story. And in this dialogue, he also tells them to eat his flesh, drink his blood, roast everybody out. Doesn't bother to do the pastoral thing and give explanation. He could have calmed them down by walking them through their Jewish history and showing them the prophecies of this, but he didn't bother. He didn't want a group of people that were held together simply because they agreed. So people begin to leave. And he makes his comment to the disciples. He said that, you know, my words to you are spirit and life. Whoa, dogs. My words become presence, and that presence gives life. So every word that comes from the heart of God carries his presence. Are y'all getting this? But if I only analyze from my reason, reasoning, I'll get it right sometimes and wrong sometimes. I'm not saying to turn off your reasoning. I was sitting at a, another similar community house. And this guy across the table from me was sharing his testimony. I just met him. And inside me, an alarm was going off. He was talking. But my mind was really enjoying the story. I mean... My mind told my heart to be quiet, so I sat there and listened to this guy go on and on about how Jesus did this and Jesus did that, only to find out a week later that he'd been stealing from people and creating false bank accounts. He set himself up to work with Christian businessmen so he could steal from them. The alarms were going off in me because there was no life in his words. But his words were impressive. The words stirred my curiosity. They were kind of the same kind of stories I'd heard of great things God had done. So I sat there listening, ignoring all the alarms that were telling me that's not right. My intellectual pleasure in the story caused me to cancel my discernment. Another time I was at a conference as a speaker, and so I'm sitting right in front, and during worship, there's this lady who is sitting literally right in front of me. And she's singing wrong notes and wrong words all at the wrong time. You know, and I'm really fighting this. I'm trying not to judge her, but it's really annoying. <laughs> because I've come to the wrong conclusions many, many times. I, I didn't want to look stupid, so I just stood there. And then a little bit, another lady, another one who was another speaker who happened to be a very prophetic lady, came and stood beside me because she was the next one up. And she leaned over to me, pointing at the lady who I had been struggling with, and she said, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and then she said, yeah, she was a prostitute for 37 years. Now she's free. You know, and then I thought, yeah, honey, go ahead. You sing anything you want, anytime you want. <laughs> What's going on there? There was life in what she was doing. But the confusion caused me to not recognize it. You all getting okay with this? Lord wants us to learn the source of life itself. Man shall not live by bread alone. Come on. 
but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We live because he speaks. We literally, we're alive because he talks to us. Our comprehension, our understanding of his words is not the measure of recognizing his voice as much as is the impact of his presence. Oh, that's really good. Verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves, reclined at the table, reproached them for their unbelief, hardness of heart, because they not believe, and not believe those whom he had sent after he risen. Nobody wants to be gullible. You don't look stupid because you believe something dumb. But protection from that is not to be resistant to people. And the protection from that is not how much you know. Protection comes from knowing the presence of God. Because he will never deceive you. Are y'all okay? Yeah. In these moments, you don't go by faith just stealing your will and self-determination. Really, it's an invitation from your heart to acknowledge your relationship to Him and through your surrender to invite Him in His presence so that you learn to know His presence. That's what really shakes you. The Bible uses another word that's not really street friendly, but it calls it His glory. It shapes you. Shaping is not because you had a 45-minute teaching or revelation. It's because you had an engaging experience with Him. And when you have those experiences, you're not coming to Him with all your ideas and asking Him and your shopping lists of wants. In those moments, all you can do is think to honor Him, to love Him, to draw near to Him, to celebrate, to be a faithful steward of whatever he's put in your charge. I just want to stand there and honor him and love him. The one who gave himself so completely. I realize this doesn't sound like the logical way to faith. But it is a great way to faith. He says, just come. Get to know my voice, get to know my presence. Grab someone's hand and put your own 